Amen. Would you remain standing with me? And I hope it is well with your soul this morning. Because you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Pastor Bruce begins a series, Encounters with Jesus, this morning. And we're going to open the book of John, chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. If you're using a pew Bible from in front of you, you can find this on page 1055. Again, we're reading John 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that as we open your word, and as Pastor Bruce, Lord, just expounds upon the truth within it, Lord, may we have an encounter with you that shapes our hearts, Lord, that changes us from the inside out. God, we ask that, uh, Lord, we would be brought into a closer relationship with you, God, just uh, open us up to hear your word, Lord, and to impact our lives and those around us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Kirk alluded to, we are beginning a brand new sermon series this morning called Altered Encounters with Jesus. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this series, especially as we search these encounters, we explore these encounters in the Gospels. We're going to Look in the Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. And uh, if you've ever read through the Gospels, which I encourage you to do, if you've studied through them, you will find that the Gospels are full of stories of people who encountered Jesus Christ in a very personal way. And, And so sometimes these people walked away from the encounter, and they did so sad because Jesus called them to give up everything to follow him. Other times, people walked away very overjoyed, having encountered Jesus, because perhaps Jesus healed their sickness. Other occasions, people who were demon-possessed met Jesus, and they, they walked away free from their bondage. And still on other occasions, people walked away rather conflicted after hearing a teaching that, that kind of confronted their worldview, their perception of what they thought was reality, and Jesus confronted them about that. And so here's the goal for this whole sermon series as we go through it, as we explore these various encounters with Jesus Christ each Sunday morning here in the worship service. And that goal is this, it's simply to meet the one who can change your life. We want to meet the one person who can change your life. And of course, that is none other than Jesus Christ. 
One of the common factors in the Gospels is that when people encounter Jesus, they are changed. In fact, oftentimes they are changed in dramatic ways and even permanent ways. In fact, it's impossible to meet Jesus and, and to meet him with a very open heart, an open mind, and remain the same, to remain unchanged. In fact, throughout the history of the world, no person has affected more lives than Jesus of Nazareth. And, and even today, after 2,000 years of him walking on the face of this earth, he still continues to impact people's life. He continues to to bring change to people. There's never been anyone like Jesus, and there will never be anyone else like him. And so let us hear this morning, let us encounter the one who can radically change your life. Now this morning, as you heard from uh, the text that Kirk read for us, we're going to meet a good man who encountered Jesus Christ at night. And the reason I want us to explore this encounter is because it answers the question that is still being asked by many people today. And that question is simply this. It's, it's the question that Nicodemus had. He didn't actually express this question. He didn't ask this question verbatim to Jesus Christ, but it is the question that Jesus answers nonetheless. And that is this. Do good people go to heaven? Perhaps you've wondered that. Yourself, perhaps you've even asked that about yourself. Do good people go to heaven? Now, it's interesting, through the Gospels, you find that Jesus actually speaks often about heaven, and I'm sure most of us would like to go to heaven when we die. Most people believe that good people go to heaven. In fact, according to numerous surveys, uh, over 50% of Americans actually agree that good works can earn you a place in heaven. Now, after being pastor for almost 20 years here, I have done my fair share of funerals over the years. I've done many, many funerals. And it is interesting to, to hear the conversations, to overhear conversations of people and family members when a loved one dies. And let me tell you, at that moment, there are many, many people, loved ones, who put somebody in heaven. They think they're in heaven simply because that person is a, well, he's a good person. Therefore, he's got to be in a better place because he lived a good life. And so that thought, that perspective is still prevalent among our society and in our culture. Now, as I look across this auditorium this morning, I actually see a lot of, quote, good people here today. You may even inwardly think in your own mind, yeah, I'm actually pretty good. I mean, most people, as I look across, most of you are pretty upstanding, morally speaking. And I'm sure your friends and coworkers and your neighbors and maybe even a family member or two might even vouch for you. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a pretty good person. I have no doubt that you, most of you, you try to pay your bills on time, you, you mow your grass, make sure it doesn't get too tall before you mow it, you, you go to work every day, you're faithful, dependable, you even love on your family, you've never committed a major crime, at least yet in your life. And so listen, every society needs people like you. We're grateful for that. Thank God for good, decent, law-abiding people. And so everyone here is actually, quote, pretty good. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're a good person nonetheless. But the reality is, since nobody is perfect here, I think we would all agree with that. You yourself would acknowledge that. I'm not perfect. Since nobody is perfect, then how good is good enough to go to heaven? That's really the heart of the question that Jesus gets to in this encounter with Nicodemus. I mean, after all, where is the line on good enough? Who is the standard? And is there enough time left before I die to stash away enough good deeds to counterbalance the bad ones in my life? And these are all good questions, especially if you believe in the good people go to heaven theory like Nicodemus did here in John chapter 3. And so after hearing about Jesus, after hearing about his miracles, and specifically the miracle that he just performed in Cana, of turning the water into wine, listen, that news spread quickly. And Nicodemus, this Pharisee, he hears about this. 
here's a new guy in town, great teacher, and he's even performing miracles. And after hearing this, Nicodemus is curious. He wants to go meet Jesus, and so he comes to Jesus at night. But this is no ordinary encounter. This is not like bumping into a friend at the grocery store and then just talking about the weather or talking about the Chiefs or the Royals or whatever the case might be. No, this is a life-changing encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. And in this encounter, we actually begin to see what credentials are required for us here this morning to get into heaven. So let's unpack this encounter a little bit. Notice number one, Nicodemus represents people who think religious credentials are sufficient to save. Verse one here in John chapter three introduces us to Nicodemus and shows us his remarkable credentials. Look again what John says about Nicodemus here in verse 1. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs. In other words, no one can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. Now, to better understand this particular encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus at night, we need to check out his credentials. So notice a couple of his credentials right off the bat here. First of all, Nicodemus was extremely religious as a Pharisee. Now, most people today have a negative view of Pharisees, and and for good reason, because when you read through the Gospels, what do you find Jesus always doing when it comes to the Pharisees? He's calling them out. He's confronting them for one thing it seems like most often, and that is their hypocrisy, their self-righteous hypocrisy. But you have to understand, in the first century, the Pharisees were actually highly esteemed for their religious devotion. They were men who took a a very solemn vow to devote their entire lives to studying the Old Testament and obeying God's laws. And this meant studying the Bible for hours each day, praying two hours a day, giving a tithe of all they possessed, and being concerned about their morality. Now, the main thing to understand about Pharisees is, is their zeal and their passion to obey God's law. They were extremely serious about trying to please God through their good works of obeying the law of Moses. If you had a Pharisee for a kid, let me tell you, you would have been thrilled in that day. Man, you would have hit the jackpot as a parent. Woo, my kid's going to be a Pharisee. Because this kid would be serious about obeying his parents at all times. That's what Pharisees were known for obeying God's laws regardless. That's what they lived to do. So what did all this mean for Nicodemus? Well, it means Nicodemus was morally upstanding to a degree that you and I cannot even imagine today. There were no scandals related to Nicodemus. There's nothing hidden in his closet to uncover in relation to Nicodemus. It means you are not going to find a more devout religious person than Nicodemus. He was extremely religious as a Pharisee. That's his first credential. His second credential is he was highly respected as a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council that is known or called as the Sanhedrin. This was the highest Jewish court in the land. In fact, this was a a select group of 70 men who who wrote laws and conducted trials. It was like they were a combination of Congress and the Supreme Court for the Jews. And as the chief authority in all of Israel, the Sanhedrin had religious authority over every Jewish man in the world. Now, as you might expect, only the leading men were elected to such a prestigious position to liken it to 
our modern times here to the 21st century, it would be like a, a U.S. senator, a U.S. Supreme Court justice, and a bishop in the church all rolled into one position. This means that when Nicodemus walked down the street, people knew who he was. They pointed him out to their kids. Hey, hey, look, kids, there's Nicodemus. That's how prominent he would have been. That's how important he would have been. That's how respected he would have been as a ruler of the Jews. In addition to this, Nicodemus was the man. In fact, we know that because later on in verse 10, Jesus refers to Nicodemus as the teacher in Israel, which means Nicodemus was probably the most popular religious teacher in all of Israel at that time. Let me tell you, if there was podcasts going on back then, his podcast would have been at the top of the charts. People would have been tuning in to what he says and his teachings and everything. His social media would have had more likes than any other religious leader at that day. Nicodemus is as close to being a, quote, good person as one could ever hope for. In fact, if we were going to nominate someone to actually represent humanity before God, a holy God, we could not find a better person than Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the top dog religiously, morally, socially, and politically. And yet, and yet, there's something missing in his life. There seems to be a hole in his heart that his religion could not fill. Now perhaps, perhaps you can relate to Nicodemus in some way. You too, you are religious, you're moral, you're well-respected, and even from the outside, somebody looking in to your life, it seems to be going pretty good for you. doesn't mean you're, you're free from problems, but life is good overall. But something is missing in your life. There's something inside of you. There's something in the heart telling you there, there's got to be more to this life than just going to work and paying the mortgage and hoping for retirement. And so there's this curiosity. In fact, there's even this searching on your behalf. Listen to that. It's not by accident. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon said that God has put eternity inside the heart of every human being. And so Nicodemus was a very good person by all outward appearances, but he was also curious about this one who people called Jesus Christ. In fact, he's so curious about this person, Jesus Christ, that he comes to Jesus at night. Now, why did he come at night? That's interesting. Why would Nicodemus not come to Jesus in broad daylight? Why come at night? Perhaps he was a little afraid to be seen talking with Jesus. After all, his position as a Pharisee and on the Jewish ruling council. Perhaps he was afraid of what others might think of him. Or perhaps he just wished to have more time with Jesus so he could impress Jesus with his religious credentials. Whatever the reason might have been, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, but at least he came. Nicodemus comes with respect for Jesus. We, we know this by how he addresses Jesus in verse 2. The very first word to Jesus that he uses, he calls him rabbi. That means teacher. And in fact, that's a title of respect. So Nicodemus has respect for Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi. But understand, he's simply acknowledging Jesus and coming to him as his equal. Because he too was called a rabbi. And so it's not like he sees Jesus as the son of God who has come from heaven. He just sees him as another good teacher. In fact, whoa, you can even do miracles. I'm curious about this. Nicodemus even admits that Jesus has been sent from God when he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs or these miracles that you do unless God is with him. And so understand the context here. Nicodemus is highly religious. 
He's highly esteemed, and yet he's curious about this one called Jesus, this rabbi. And so he comes with respect, but he also admires this man called Jesus. He admires him for his teachings, and he admires him because of the miracles he's doing. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, if I come to Jesus, he might say something that will validate all my religious activity. Maybe he will bring a certain level of improvement to my life. Remember, Nicodemus is a good person. But how good is good enough to get into heaven? You see, even as a Pharisee, Nicodemus can't answer that question. He's not quite sure how good you got to be. Where is the line? And so perhaps his curiosity, something missing in his heart is, launching him, is drawing him to seek out Jesus Christ. And perhaps he's wanting some validation. Jesus, would you just validate for me that I am good enough? All my religious credentials count for something in getting into the kingdom of God, of getting me into heaven. And I think that's why he's seeking Jesus. He wants validation. That his goodness will merit Enough good to get him into the kingdom of God. And now he's seeking it from this one called Jesus. So how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus' religious credentials? Was Jesus impressed with them? Or was he unimpressed? Does Jesus even care? Well, make no mistake about it. Jesus cares deeply, not about his religious credentials, but he cares about Nicodemus the man, the person. And for this reason, notice number two, Jesus answers that religious credentials are insufficient to save. Check out Jesus' reply to Nicodemus. It comes rather quickly in verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, there's no debating this. This is a truth you can bank on it your whole life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Now what? I've heard that term, but what's it about? We'll hold that thought. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But for now, I simply want you to see that in this one statement here by Jesus Christ, in verse 3, Jesus has now turned Nicodemus' whole world upside down. We might say it this way. He's pulled the foundation out from under Nicodemus. So try to picture Nicodemus' face at this news, that there would be no hiding the look of shock on his face. And Nicodemus is like, Lord, what what do you mean? With all that I've done, how could I, I, Nicodemus, this great Pharisee who's highly respected, how could I be excluded from the kingdom of God? Again, with this one statement in verse 3 from Jesus, he has literally turned his whole world upside down. Jesus is swinging the sledgehammer, and he is shattering the foundation Nicodemus stands on. You have to understand from Nicodemus' perspective, he has lived his entire life assuming that his religious credentials guarantee him a place in God's kingdom. And now Jesus, with one statement, basically says, sorry, Nick, you're wrong. You're not good enough to get in. Nicodemus has never heard such a thing before. All his life, he has understood that one gets to heaven by keeping God's laws and being a good person. And now Jesus tells this remarkably good man in the eyes of his peers, if you want to go to heaven, you must go about it in a totally different way. You must be born again. One commentator, Leon Morris, writes, in one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for, and he demands that he be remade by the power of God. Now, I do find it rather interesting 
that Jesus answered Nicodemus in verse 3. When Nicodemus hasn't yet asked Jesus a question. But here's Jesus answering him. Why is that? That's interesting observation there. I think the reason Jesus answers him is because Jesus, like he does for so many of us even today, just like with Nicodemus, he knows the answer to the question Nicodemus has yet to ask, but he needs to ask. In other words, Jesus is bringing to the forefront. He's not wasting any time. He's bringing to the forefront of Nicodemus, just as Jesus does for you and I today in the Gospels and the rest of God's Word. He's bringing the truth, and it's the answer to our lives. And he's saying, this is the answer to the question you need to be pondering, you need to be considering in life. All these other questions are meaningless. This is the heart of the question, and it goes, answers the heart of your question. Or this is the heart of the answer to your question, I should say it that way. You see, the question Nicodemus needs to ask that Jesus is answering is, do good people go to heaven? Nicodemus never asked that question, but he does so in a roundabout way by even coming to Jesus. And here's the answer. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. Good people won't go to heaven as long as they trust in their goodness to get them there because being good or religious is never enough. You say, how do you know that, Bruce? I know that because the rest of the scriptures tell us so, specifically where Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have what? Sin and fall short of the glory of God. So being good... Listen, it is never enough because as sinners, we all fall short of God's standard of holiness and goodness. Again, listen, use the example of Nicodemus here. If being good was enough to go to heaven, then Nicodemus would be the first one in line. He was at the top of the religious ladder, and yet Jesus tells him, Nick, it's not enough, it's has not brought you any closer to heaven. In fact, it is doing the opposite. And so Nicodemus begins to step down from his religious ladder, and he begins to ask Jesus the questions that truly matter in life. He begins to ask him, what it means to be born again. That's what I love about this encounter. It's actually a series of dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. Three questions are asked. Three times Jesus answers them. Except the first question, Nicodemus doesn't even know he's asking a question. And so you got this three three times this conversation, this dialogue, and in it we glean and we learn from this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Oh, he came at night hoping, oh, how he was hoping to oppress him with his religious credentials. But with his world now turned upside down, Nicodemus is fully engaged. His heart is open. His mind is open. And he's engaged with what Jesus has to say about being born again. And Jesus gives him this in number three. Jesus now begins to explain that the new birth is the only sufficient credential to save. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that only one thing, and one thing only, gains a person interest to heaven, and that is being born again. In fact, Jesus is so serious about this that he uses the word unless in verse 3. Did you notice it there? Unless one is born again. In other words, the new birth is the exclusive way to enter heaven. Now, Nicodemus takes this new birth talk somewhat literal. He's utterly baffled by this thought of being born again. And so he asks Jesus a question in verse 4. 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus is not referring to a physical birth, is he? He's referring to a spiritual birth. And so Jesus begins to explain to Nicodemus what that is about. And notice, first of all, Jesus tells him that the new birth is a necessity for entrance into heaven, into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought that entering the kingdom of God had everything to do with one's physical birth because from his religious perspective as a Jew, listen, if a person was born a Jew, then he would automatically have a spot in God's kingdom. That's the the mindset he's grown up with. But Jesus now tells them the exact opposite, that no matter who a person is, he is automatically kept out of God's kingdom by his sin. And he would only be let in if he were born again. Now, if being born again isn't a physical birth, then what is it? Well, Jesus says it's all about a spiritual birth. Jesus goes on to explain this a little bit in verses 5 and 6. Look what he says. He tells Nicodemus, truly, truly. Again, we find those words there. Truly, truly. In other words, Jesus isn't messing around. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is the second time Jesus has said that someone cannot do something in relation to the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In verse 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And then he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, it is the spirit of God who makes a person alive and new from the inside. In other words, the new birth happens when God's Spirit makes us alive to the things of God. It's a spiritual transformation that takes place from the inside out. In fact, that is why this expression, born again, is also translated or can mean to be born from above. What would that be alluding to? To be born from above is to be born from God and by His Spirit. Nicodemus and the Pharisees, now they had studied the law. Remember, as Pharisees, they knew the Old Testament law frontward and backwards. They knew their Old Testament. They had studied the Old Testament, but they missed what God had said about this. God said, even back in the Old Testament, that following external laws, listen, it would never be enough for a person to enter his kingdom. What a person needs is an internal transformation of the heart that is wrought about by the Spirit of God. God actually made this promise back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Listen as I read to it, or you can turn there yourselves. And follow along in Ezekiel 36. It says, this is God making this promise. He says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. But yet, in spite of all his religious knowledge, let me tell you, Nicodemus missed this. He was so focused on cleaning and keeping the outside of his life clean and keeping all these external laws, even adding to those laws, that he missed what God said here. In essence, God said, listen, you need to be clean on the inside, washed with water. You need your heart to come alive by my spirit. Then and only then will you be able to obey me. You see, the Pharisees, they were a group of people 
in Jesus' day who thought that God wanted this radical external conformity. And so they were all about behavior modification. And so they missed God's promise here of radical internal transformation that needs to come first before we begin to modify our behavior. God said, in other words, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to clean up yourself. I don't even want you to try to clean up yourself because that's not good enough. I want to make you brand new because that's what you need. See, God, we, we, gotta, we gotta shift our thinking a little bit here. God is not interested in your personal remodeling project. He wants to remake and reshape you from the inside out. But I'll be honest with you, even today, we still struggle with this. And the reason we struggle with this is because we really don't understand or we don't embrace it how bad we really are. You see, we still think like Nicodemus, maybe not as high as he did, but we think, I'm just right here. And I'm right here because I'm not as bad as this guy down here. We think we're pretty good. And all I need is a little remodeling project, and hey, I can take care of that myself. I've even done the physical remodeling projects on my home. And if I can do the physical remodeling projects on my home, surely I can do it on myself. And so like in Nicodemus, we think our religious credentials will somehow please God enough for him to let us into his kingdom. But God's requirement for his kingdom is perfection. And yet we all know We can't be perfect. In fact, we are far, far, far from perfect, are we not? And so we need way more than just a little touch-up paint. We need to be made new. Listen, our corruption from sin demands a radical redemption that only God can bring about in our lives. We need a brand new birth that Jesus is talking about here. And so being born again, it is not about us simply turning over a new leaf at the beginning of the new year. It is about being made new by the Spirit of God. It's about God giving you a new heart. And just to make sure Nicodemus does not misunderstand this truth, and by the way, so we don't misunderstand this truth, Notice what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, what? You must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying that this new birth, it is not optional. It is a necessity for entrance into heaven. And that brings us to the second thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus here, and that is that the new birth is a mystery that must be accepted by faith. Nicodemus is still a little perplexed by all this new birth talk, and so Jesus gives some more explanation about it. Look what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, the new birth, it is not something that you and I can do on our own. We cannot manufacture this new birth. We cannot bring it about on our own. This is a work of God. He brings it about within us. It's a work of God's Spirit that must be accepted by faith and is then evident in a person's life. And just as we accept all kinds of earthly mysteries by faith, Jesus gives the example of the wind, we must now accept the mystery of the new birth by faith. Can you see the wind? Anybody here seen the wind lately? No, you don't see the wind, but you sure feel its, its effects and its impact. 
And the same is true when you experience the new birth. You feel its impact in your life, but in many ways you can't explain it. It's a mystery that must be accepted by faith. Now this this encounter, this beautiful encounter, I'll say, between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ, it brings us to our final question. And that is this. Notice it in your notes. So if good people don't go to heaven, who does? And of course, hopefully we all know the answer by now. People who are born again go to heaven. People who are born again go to heaven. Now again, as you can imagine, Nicodemus' head is still spinning from his world being turned upside down by the thought that he must be born again to enter into heaven. His head is spinning. He's trying to comprehend this new talk of being born again. He's never heard it before. His foundation has been, a sledgehammer has been taken to it by Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus tries to gather his thoughts, and he asks Jesus one final question in verse 9. It's a question maybe we have even asked, and he says this, how can these things be? And Jesus shoots back in verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things. In other words, Jesus is simply telling Nicodemus, listen, it's not a question of understanding. It's a question of belief. It's not a question of you trying harder in life, but a question of trusting Jesus Christ for eternal life. And then in verse 13, Jesus tells Nicodemus that that Jesus' part, his own part in this new birth, was to, to leave heaven and come down to this world to die on the cross for our sins. Friends, that's what Jesus did for you, so that you might be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven when you die. And then Jesus says, look at it, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now Moses lifting up the serpent in wilderness, what in the world is that all about? Now you have to understand, we here, we may not be familiar with that story, but let me tell you, Nicodemus was. As a Pharisee who studied the Old Testament, he knew exactly what Jesus was referencing. He had heard this story before. He knew the details of this story before. And so Jesus is, in a sense, lifting up this story as an example to Nicodemus of what he must do in relation to Jesus Christ. So let me give you the background of the story, what it's about. It's actually found in Numbers chapter 21, and it's in reference to God's people, the children of Israel, known as the Israelites. And Jesus is, or in Moses has already led them out, delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And they are now wandering in the wilderness because of their rebelliousness. No surprise there, right? So they haven't yet entered the promised land, but they're not in Egypt. And they're in the wilderness. And like we still do today, God's people started murmuring started complaining. And oh, that gets up God's skin. And God sent a plague of poisonous snakes in judgment for their sin of complaining and murmuring. And some of the people died when they were bitten by these snakes. Moses, who is our leader, what does he do? He He goes before God and he pleads on their behalf. God, have mercy on them. He begs for God's mercy. And you know what God does? He responds in a gracious, merciful way by telling Moses, Moses, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, lift the pole up high so the people can see it, and have the people look at it to lift their heads up in faith, looking at the snake and they will be healed. And lo and behold, what do you think happened? As some of those people, as they are bitten and distraught and dying face down, 
They look up in faith at that snake lifted up by Moses, and they are healed miraculously. Their lives are saved from death. And so God saved the Israelites from a physical death when they looked upon the snake in faith. And likewise, Jesus was lifted up on the cross for our sin so that now anyone who looks to him in faith would be saved from not physical death, but spiritual death. Immediately, I think at that moment, Nicodemus, the dots connect for him. His heart is so convicted, he just, he he cannot confess Jesus as Lord fast enough. And at that moment, he is born again, he is transformed from the inside out with a new heart. The text doesn't tell us that, that's just what I think. Because immediately Nicodemus, he relates and he connects the dot of what Jesus is telling him about this story with the children of Israel to the Son of God that would one day die on the cross and be lifted up. This truth is actually then summarized for us in the most famous verse in God's Word when Jesus states in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And in that one verse, there is hope for everyone. It doesn't matter how good, and by the way, or how bad, and we will look at some encounters of the opposite of Nicodemus, of people, quote, bad in life. It doesn't matter how good or how bad, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life in God's kingdom. Now, as we draw this to a conclusion here, Let me just remind us that Nicodemus represents each one of us here today. Nicodemus stands in the place of every good, decent, and moral person who ever lived. Nicodemus was a good man who was relying on his religious credentials to get him into heaven. And there are millions of people across this world that are doing the same thing. And I suspect there are still thousands of people, even in churches like ours, who are still relying on their goodness to get them into the kingdom of God. But that's why this encounter is recorded for us here in God's Word. Because it is reminding us that being good or being religious, it is never enough to go to heaven. Jesus says, you must be what? Born again. What's the steps that you can take for that to transpire in your own life? Well, it's a work of God that we must respond to. God sovereignly works in our lives, opens up our heart where we are born again and we respond. Notice, here's three steps. First of all, admit your need fully, realizing you are a sinner. You see, Jesus had to turn Nicodemus' world upside down so that he would come to the place in his life where he begins to realize that I am a sinner regardless of being a Pharisee. I'm a sinner first who is in need of a Savior. And nothing else matters until you come to the same conclusion about you, that I am a sinner who needs a Savior in Jesus Christ. And then, number two, you take that second step of coming to Jesus personally, believing that he died on the cross for you. Nicodemus came to Jesus on his own. He came individually. He could have never sent someone else in his place. Listen, salvation involves a personal faith in Jesus Christ. That is, no one can believe for you. Your parents cannot believe I cannot believe for you. You must respond to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Which brings us to our third step. Trust Jesus Christ completely. 
repenting of your sin, and by faith receiving Him as your Savior and Lord. This means putting your faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Nicodemus, I believe, did this, and so must you if you want to have eternal life. With your heads bowed. This is our time in the service to respond to God. We can summarize Nicodemus' encounter in one sentence, that your life can be transformed through Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're trapped in bitterness. Maybe you're trapped in some type of addiction. Perhaps you're trapped in sinful habits. You're trapped in confusion. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus and you're, you're pretty good. You're rather religious. You're, you're pretty moral. You're hardworking. And yet you wonder deep down inside, is this all there is? And Jesus says to every one of us, you must be born again. And that can happen right now in this moment, where God can change you from the inside out forever. And so if God is tugging on your heart, if this is what you're searching for in your life, then then I want to invite you to just, in the quietness of your heart, pray that prayer right there in your notes. It's just a simple prayer. It's to help you to express what God is doing in your own heart. You, you cry out. You put it in your own words if need be. But I want us to take a moment of silence to give opportunity for you to respond where you're seated right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus that's recorded for our benefit, Lord. Help us now to see ourselves in this story and see your goodness and grace in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so, Lord, may your spirit do a work that only that your spirit can do. May you draw us to yourself in saving faith. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may be wondering about Nicodemus. Did he actually come to Jesus Christ in saving faith? Was he born again? Did he put his faith and trust in Jesus? And the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us so, but I believe there is enough evidence in the scriptures, in the book of John even, and I'll challenge you to check it out for yourself. There's two different places where Nicodemus is referenced in the book of John. The first is in John 3. The second is in John 7. The third place is in John 19. In John 7, the Pharisees, as you know in the Sanhedrin, want to attack Jesus. They want to try to kill him. They're plotting against him. And it seems like Nicodemus... In John 7, there comes to his defense. You don't come to Jesus' defense unless something's going on in your heart. And then in John 19, the evidence is full-blown there. Jesus has died on the cross. His body is now taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. And you know who's there with Joseph to take down the body and present the body for burial? Who do you think? Nicodemus. Why? Because he has come to know who this person was that died on the cross. It is none other than the Son of God who has come down and is my Savior, Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you can say that for yourself. That you are born again.